Hey there, it's Susan. Today, we're talking about a six-figure startup strategy that you can use even if you've already launched your business. So cool. When I heard about this strategy, I knew that I had to share it with you. It's a huge big deal because this strategy that these two founders used is so effective that I want you to consider it because I think you can do much of what they're doing at any stage of your business. So let's get to it. I'm going to hop in. You're going to meet Kate and Anne-Marie, and they're going to tell you exactly how they did this. We'll see you on the inside. Welcome to the Roadmap to 50K on Shopify. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of real stores, where you're going to learn actionable strategies and tips that will fast track the growth and profitability of your e-commerce business. So buckle up. Welcome your host and Shopify expert, Susan Bradley. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. If you are starting your business, if you have started your business and you wish that you were getting more sales, or even if you're well into your business, you're going to love this episode because I am here with Kate and Anne-Marie of Rowdy Kind. They have an amazing story to share. The real meat of this episode is about the value in uh, setting yourself up to be successful right from the beginning. And if you've missed that step, I promise you, you can go back and do it, but listen up because what they have to share is super valuable and it will help you understand the work that's important for you to do in your business. So enough of me talking. I want to say hi to both of you, Kate and Anne-Marie. Hello. I would love it if you both shared where you're meeting me from. And uh, and if one of you could tell us a little bit about how Rowdy Kind was born, you've got a great story. Thanks. I'm Kate. I am based in the UK. So I'm Canadian, and but I've been in the UK for about 20 years. And Rowdy Kind is entirely sold at the moment in the UK. And I'm Anne-Marie, Kate partner in crime on Rowdy Kind. And I'm actually talking to Susan and you guys today from Montreal, Canada. So yeah, we, we run a trans, transatlantic business, which is fun. We'll get into that. But uh, yeah, the story to answer your question, Susan, the story of Rowdy Kinds are really cool. And as someone with a marketing background, a really cool and authentic insight. So happened a few years ago where Kate was having bath time with her son, Chris, who was about seven at the time. And he, he stopped and said, mom, you know, why is the bathtub lined with plastic bottles when we know that's bad? Like we, we know that's bad. It's inherently bad. We learn it at school. We talk about it all the time. So why do we keep buying them? And the second thing he said is, and you know what? I'm not a baby anymore. Why do you keep using baby shampoo on me? Because Chris has quite sensitive skin. So Kate took pause and said, you know what? You're right. So the next day they went to the shops and they tried to look for something you know, that would suit both of their needs. Kate looking for something that's, you know, high quality was going to respect his skin, his skin needs. And, and Chris wanted something that of course was plastic free, but also cool. And he could kind of identify with, you know, at seven, you kind of want something that represents you and is cool and your friends think is cool. And the third thing that actually did go into the development of this brand somewhat unexpectedly perhaps, but Chris was really bothered when they were looking at the shelves that a lot of, um, you know, kids' bath products are very gendered. It's like, you know, the blue truck 
bubble bath or the pink princess bubble bath. And that's something that also came up that we uh, considered in developing this brand and made it just for kids, all kids. Okay, so um, Chris might be the most evolved seven-year-old <laughs> on the planet. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of went from there. And then, you know, Kate didn't think much of it. They didn't find anything that day. But it's really, you know what, Chris started Rowdy Kind. We give him full credit because he didn't let it go. You know, week after week, mom, no, like no more plastic bottles. We need something different. We need something different. And Kate kind of, maybe regrettedly, <laughs> came a few <laughs> months later and said, oh, maybe this weekend we'll look into if we can, you know, make our own soap. And and there was no turning back from then. He wouldn't get off it. And, and that's the genuine story and the insight behind Rowdy Kind. Kate and I are sisters-in-law. Customers are always excited to find out, you know, in our in our journey. And she was coming to visit me in, in Canada from the UK a few months later um, because I had just had my daughter. You know, she let the first day become a vacation. And the second day, she's like, we need to talk over lunch. <laughs> and she's like, I have this business idea. And I said, well, I immediately got it. Again, I just had a daughter. So all of a sudden, you you care so much more about the future and all of these things is the minute you have a kid, even though she was only a few months old. And that's kind of the journey, the journey of how we started. And then it, it's gone from there. So that was that meeting when she said I had an idea was August 2019. So just over two years ago. And then. Um, wow. And so you had a meeting August 2019. Mm-hmm. You discussed the concept. When did you actually launch? Well, it depends on what you define launch as. Um, Our run-up to what we call our launch, which was about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago now. So this is October 2021. We properly launched in October 2020. But we had about a six-month run-up to that that we call our uh, MVP phase. So between our first aha conversation with Chris and our actual launch, we spent a lot of time ensuring that we were really comfortable to launch. And our approach came from the intersection, the sort of Venn diagram of two big issues. Uh, The first is my own approach to entrepreneurialism. And the second is where we landed from a product point of view and um, how much we had to communicate about it. So the first bit, my approach to entrepreneurialism, I, for a long time in my life, thought I could never be an entrepreneur. There's so much risk in entrepreneurialism. It's so like scary. It could all go wrong. And then I did a course on innovation. And during the course, we discussed entrepreneurs. And one of the things that came out of that discussion was that the most successful entrepreneurs actually are very risk averse. And what they do really well is manage risk to a way they're comfortable with it. And when I heard that, I went, actually, I could be an entrepreneur. I just need to make sure that I am managing my own appetite for risk. So that was sort of the first part that influenced how we launched. And then the second piece was we, when Chris and I discovered that there was nothing in the market, it became very clear that we were, what we were going to have to do was really invent something new. And that meant we couldn't take a map from somebody else and transplant it. We weren't like doing a Fendi where we're just going to launch a new, 
you know, makeup brand or something and we can, you know, get everybody understands makeup. This is about the brand. This is about product as well as brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we needed to really understand that need. And both Anne-Marie and I come from backgrounds having worked for slightly larger organizations where we know that we are not necessarily everyone. And mm-hmm. we knew we had to get out of our own heads within it. A really clear understanding of what the product issues were. So to jump forward to the end of the process, where we've ended up from a product point of view is we make a completely solid formulation. So if you think about the back of a shampoo bottle and you look at the ingredients list, the first thing on that list is water. And what Rowdy Kind is, is all of the other stuff that's in a shampoo or a high quality body wash without the water. That means it's like soap. I say it's like soap because it isn't technically soap, but you use it like soap. So it's a solid shampoo, solid body wash kind of formula. So we knew we were inventing something that people didn't really understand very well. So we had to spend some time really understanding how to communicate and whether this was something that people were actually willing to buy into and what was motivating for them from a product point of view. I probably spent six months where everybody who came to my house and all of my son's friends got shown all these bottles of things and bars and little prototypes I made up going, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What do you like about this? What do you not like about this? And through that process of elimination and listening to them, I was able to get a sense of the things that were important to other people, as opposed to just the things that were important to me. Listen to that. Say that again, because that is gold. (laughs) The things that were important to other people rather than just the things that are important to me. That the bit? Not cool. (laughs) Yeah, because we can all get up inside our own heads, right? In lots of ways. So that's number one genius. When I think about all this legwork that you did before you launched this product, the first thing I think about is that you didn't do it in a vacuum. You didn't decide, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to be the mad scientist. I'm going to invent this thing and emerge with this thing in my hand going, ta-da, but I made you. Well, you know, we did a little bit of that knowing that it wasn't perfect. Right. So after having spoken to loads of people, we then created what we called our MVP, minimum viable product. So there were attributes of that product that we knew were not exactly right. But until we chuck a limited volume of that product at people, we weren't going to get really great feedback about what mattered to them. Mm -hmm. So we got a few hundred prototypes effectively made up. um, Mm -hmm. And we then went out and we recruited some families to test the product for us. And we were some retailers. Sorry to interrupt. Tell us how you did that, because that's what people are going to want to know. They're going to be like, well, that's good for Kate because she's not shy. But I'm... Oh, no. (laughs) So not true. Like, you know, I've loved the pandemic because I people and I could take or leave each other. Um, (laughs) That's not quite true, but no. Well, the first thing to say, even before we recruited these families, was Emery and I. So by that time, I'd said, I need help. I got to get Emery on board. 
we had through our discussions with each other and the discussions with all of the people we've been talking to had a really clear set of hypotheses we wanted to test. Friends and family stage. This is people you This knew. is, yeah. Like, so yes. after speaking to friends and family, Anne-Marie and I had a really good sense of like the things that we think we need to ask people are things like price, things like brand attributes, like what do they like or dislike about a brand or our brand? And things like which claims are most important for them. So we'd had set ourselves a list of these hypotheses to test. And it was really important that they were like hypotheses. We weren't set on any of them. So whatever people said to us about those was really important. We wouldn't be disappointed no matter what they said. Okay, I'm going to end for a minute again because I want people to onboard this. So gang, listen to this. So they made a list of what they needed to know. Mm-hmm. They didn't just flop it out there and say, I made this. <laughs> they said to themselves, okay, what do we really need to know to make this, to move this product forward? And they made a list. How many of these hypotheses did you have, Kate? Do you know, I was looking for the list before this and I think it was five to seven. It, okay. was, yeah. it wasn't a huge number. Okay. Yeah. And so what's interesting, yeah. Sorry, Susan. What's interesting is a lot of those hypotheses are, you know, core business problems that we still work towards today. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's we've, as Kate said, we've created this innovative product. People are used to using liquid shampoo mm-hmm. and body washes on their kids in plastic bottles. We now have this solid bar with no packaging, and there's some, you know, key barriers. We're doing something completely new. So what's cool is, yeah, we had that list, but that list still guides us today. And that's what's hmm. really neat. Yeah. So it was pricing. It was brand attributes. There, it was messaging. Like yeah. what are the what are the most important benefits to people? So yeah. Would benefit. would people even care that it was plastic free? Like do people care enough to actually change? Would they buy something specifically for their kids as opposed to right now kids are just using the same thing as them? All of these things. Perfect. And so then how did you go out and find your next group of people who uh, don't love you? (laughs) So um, it was really simple. So I did, you know, send to things like our class WhatsApp group at uh, school. Uh Um, But I also and I also put it up on LinkedIn, which is a slightly more distanced from you network. So got a few people through that. And then I just went into some of the groups that I was a member of on Facebook you know, mom and kid groups, sustainability groups, that kind of thing. And I put a post up and I said, would you like to test a new kids product for me? And I gave a little bit about the background, the story that Emery told in really short form. My son said he wanted it, blah, blah, blah. Go to this Google form and sign up. And they just went to the Google form. They had to put in some basic information. So I was already asking things like, how environmentally responsible are you? What do you use right now? Where do you shop? Some of our key questions, I was getting them to answer those even before we got to the point of sending them the product. And then if they got all the way through that form, I then asked them for their address and we sent them a bar. So I'd, I didn't even send anything out until we already had some information back. And, and how then many, how many people were you looking for? Well, how big was this pool of testers? We wanted anywhere from 25 to 40 and we ended up at 30. Okay, perfect. So then and what happened? We, 
Um, so I sent them out the product and we also invited them all to be part of a closed Facebook group. And not everybody said yes, right? You know, but quite a few did. So then we ended up with a closed Facebook group of about 25 people. And after three months, we sent them a follow-up survey. So we got feedback from the survey and we also got feedback in the Facebook group. And, you know, you'd think, oh, people will never fill out that survey. They did. They definitely did. And we said, if you fill out the survey, we'll send you one of our new bars when it launches, which we did do. But even without that, I think people would have done it. They were just really keen to be part of something interesting and new and exciting. And in the Facebook group, I was reviewing it actually today. We asked things like, tell us about our pricing. Right now, our pricing is $12.99. What's the right price for this product? And people responded and they compared it to the other things that they were buying. We put up a poll that said, which of these product attributes about our product are most important to you? And they voted against those. And it helped us eliminate the things that really didn't matter to people and emphasize the things that did. So it was, we got a huge amount of insight back from that, that actually we still use some of it today. So genius. And so this is actually before you launched, like this is before you sold the bar. Yeah. So we, um, in parallel, we, cause one of the things we wanted to test was will people actually pay to buy it? And the only way to get people to, to know whether people will really pay is to actually sell it. So we had recruited five retailers to take the product. Mm -hmm. So they were local retailers and they bought it direct from me. Unfortunately, they started listing on the 1st of March. And for those of you who remember back to mm -hmm. March 2020, the world changed pretty quickly. It sure um, did. <laughs> so we had planned to only launch with those retailers. By the end of March, we did set up our Shopify store. How did you get those first five retailers? People will want to know that. I walked in. I made you something? <laughs> yeah. I Googled stores near me and I just walked in with my brave pants on yeah. and said, um, hey, I've got this product. I'm looking for some stores to help test it with me. Would you be up for it? And I probably and so walked into seven uh -huh. and actually five of them said yes. And did they actually, they paid for the product? And they paid for the product. They bought the product up front. Um, they paid for the product. I dropped by every week until they all had to close. But every yeah. week I dropped by. So I got feedback from them about what their customers said. Did their customers like it or not like it? What made their customers want to buy it? What did they not like? And those stores, some of them are still our best stores. Wow. And so did you have to sweeten the pot to get them to buy it? Or did they just buy it because there you were so authentic with this uh, product that people might not be able to find anywhere? Like, how did it's you... got a wholesale margin, mm -hmm. but that was no bigger a wholesale margin than they would have had, you know, normally. Right. Anything is probably smaller than their wholesale margin on a lot of their other products. And so it was really just a genuine offer and they wanted... The, I mean, store owners, I've been a store owner. They're always looking for something new to share with their, their clients. Yeah. Okay. So good. So that is all amazing. So uh, first of all, you got a lot of input on the product. Then you got these uh, this little focus group of product testers and you knew exactly the information that you needed from them. And you knew you qualified them that they were also exactly the right people retailers and got a completely independent source of feedback. 
And then what did you do? Um, well, then we did, because of the pandemic, sell it online. Um, and people did buy it, which was great. But our real objective was knowing that the product was not perfect to, based on the feedback, redevelop the product into what it is today, um, which we launched October 2020. And we got feedback like, here's a great example of how we had to not hold on to the things that we love and get rid of them if needed. So our first product came in a tin and it was a beautiful tin with a beautiful logo on the top. But we were told very clearly that people didn't want to have a tin every time. They'd rather have a cheaper product with less or zero packaging. So our current product has no packaging. That's actually better yeah. for you. Well, we also dropped the price at the <laughs> same time because that was part of the feedback, right? Part of the feedback was like we needed to be under or at or under the 10 pound mark. So okay. again, because we're doing another round of product formulation, we could arrange our product to be achievable to achieve 10 pounds, right? We didn't have a product where we went, this is how much it costs to make the product we think we want. Oh gosh, now I have to charge a customer 50 pounds. We said, we need to hit to 10 pounds. This is what the cost of raw materials and manufacturing and everything must come to. So, so we could good. reverse engineer. Another great example, we had some really funny names the first time around. Funny mm -hmm. like, ha ha, cute. So we called one of the bars grass stains and another one spilled milk. So we were trying to talk about how kids are all messy, but it was super clear. The feedback was super clear that people didn't quite get the names. So our current product mix is a much more traditional, still cheeky, but a traditional nod to what the product is. Isn't it so true? Like we think that clever is fun and engaging, but most of the time clarity trumps clever. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of sad, but true. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, so you launched and you obviously launched to an audience. You'd built up an audience and that was a year ago. Yeah. So what I know is, because I've talked to you before, what I know is that you have continued to involve your audience all the way along in this journey. So can you share a little bit about that? I know you have a, a really solid brand rep program. I'm not sure if there's anything else you do, but I think that uh, the people listening to this would really like to hear like so much of what you've done is organic. And I think they would love to hear how you've included your audience in your journey and set yourself up to grow organically using brand reps. Yeah, sure. I'll take this one, Susan. So yeah, a year ago, as Kate said, almost exactly, we launched our full range. So Kate talked about the two initial MVP bars. That developed into a range of eight products. So we have our hair and everywhere bars, shampoo and conditioner bars. We have a bubble brick and we even have a solid moisturizer. So we've completely removed plastic bottles from bath time. In fact, that's our mission is to make bath time plastic free. That's our mission statement. What's cool about that is the early adopters of the business, we said from day one, are our brand ambassadors. So you know, people that are going to pick up this product first, and as Kate said, she even searched for the tester families and sustainability groups are going to be those early families that understand what we're trying to do, understand the problem of plastic bottles and, you know, can just kind of get, get it a little more than say maybe, maybe the mainstream. So we had those early families that 
as Kate said, you know, we're very willing to test and fill out the Google forms and all of that. So because of the nature of the product and us being the first one to ever do this, there's families that inherently want to get on board and get on the microphone for us. So after last October, we had launched the whole range. You know, we're in the inner circle. We've got the website built. We're building the email programs. We've got flows left, right, and center. Once we got to that point that we felt like we built the foundation of Rome, the core foundation, we realized, okay, to make this a viable business, we need more people to find out about us. Again, back to our core business challenges and the questions we got from the very beginning of the core business challenges, which is price, um, because our product is more expensive than the bottled alternatives um, when you just are comparing up front. It lasts longer in all of these things, but there is a potential sticker shock. There's a change in routine. There's, you know, it's a completely different format. Most people haven't used a bar for shampoo. How does it work? There's these core things. And so it was really important as a brand. I know in my marketing background, brands can talk all day long and I can post and I can make reels and all of these things, but the real power is people talking to people. So this spring, we launched a brand ambassador program with some core customers that we, we knew um, were very passionate about the product and our mission. And yeah, we engaged them to tell their authentic experience with the product. Again, it's all about for us, families authentically talking to families about our product and being like, look, it's not scary. Yes, it lathers. Yes, it lasts a long time. Yes, it's really easy. I know it's different, but your kids will love it. And, you know, they won't pour all the liquid down the drain anymore. And it it floats and all of these amazing, amazing things that we work so hard on the product for, but it's just so much more powerful for families to be talking to families about our product. As it's evolved in the past six months, so we launched the brand ambassador program in the spring with five reps, and we still only have five or six reps per term and from an brand ambassador perspective. And I've got a second here I'll talk about next, but how we run the program is a lot of what we've heard from the reps that rep from other brands and stuff is for us, it's about authenticity and it's not just about getting a grid post. So we don't just send out a bunch of samples or if, if people message me on Instagram saying, Hey, can you send me a sample and I'll do a grid post? We don't do that. We, re- we build genuine relationships with these reps. Like when we, um, when they apply, we have a kickoff call. I talk with them for at least a half hour, one-on-one, we tell them our story, you know, all of these things. And so these people are really on board for their three month term. And we want them to create content that's super authentic. If they try one of our products that they've never tried before, and there's some things they love, and there's some things that they don't love, we kindly ask them to say both. We want, again, new rowdy rowdy kind customers to know what to expect and not just the good things. We then have added a second layer to the program this summer, which is called viral marketers, which have to be people that have been customers before. So they understand the product and they don't have to take photos or post on their grid or anything. They just have to help share their genuine experience again with other families. So if I do a post about 
eczema, for example, eczema and some of our products and why their attributes are, are have, you know, families have had success with their kids with eczema. If that's something that they've also had personal experience with our products and their kids, then they would, you know, jump into the comments and, and share. Or if I do a post about tips or tricks of how to store your bar or how good the bar is for traveling with because there's no liquid limits or any of things like this. If it's authentically, if they have an authentic, you know, story to share, then they jump in. So that's kind of the two tiers that we run. So can I just ask a couple of questions? Please. We'll be uh, doing that. Uh, The first question I would ask is, so your original group of five and the brand reps that you have now, so you're not looking for what most people would traditionally look for. So you're not going through their account and looking at how many followers they have or how much engagement they have. You're more interested in that their core values line up with the brand's core values. Do I have that right? Yeah, to some degree, like for sure. Absolutely, they have to represent our core values. They need to have an, you know, they need to care a little bit that we invented this product that could revolutionize hopefully black bath time and you know they care that we are replacing two plastic bottles with every bar they need to kind of care or get it for sure but yeah it's they need to have an authentic experience so they you know they need to have kids of age where it's applicable and I feel like a lot of our best brand reps kind of get what we're trying to do And some of them, each term, I try to have one or two that have never experienced the the product before, but are very interested to, so they can take their followers and then ours through that first impression experience, because that's a very powerful experience for us, because it's a huge change in people's routines with their kids. Transition. Yeah, it's very different. If you've never used a shampoo bar before, it's people think it's a big deal and then you use it once and you rub it on the kid's head and it completely lathers and it's like so easy but you know change is difficult especially you know I have a two and a half year old you if things are happy in bath time you don't want to rock the boat like it's it's a change it's a change and it's a product most families haven't used before do you say I'd like you to post x amount of times or or do you just give them guidelines? Those are things that people struggle with when they're thinking about how they could do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. They struggle with that. They would struggle with how I compensate them. Yeah. They, you know, people struggle with, well, what if they don't say what they said they would do? Like yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. That's why the, so when they apply, there's some, so there's an application form um, that they apply of what program they would you know, like to be part of if they want to be a full out and brand ambassador, if they just, you know, want to be a viral marketer, they don't necessarily want to involve their own grid or whatever. So that's the starting point. And there's some core questions there, of course, of, you know, interest in sustainability. Do they have kids of age? All of these things. (laughs) Link to their accounts. If they want to be ambassador, are they willing to take photographs of their kids? Because integral to the content they're going to develop and all of these things. But um can I jump in? Yeah, please. I think one of the things that Anne-Marie does that makes the brand ambassador program for us such a success, which is different from what other programs do, is she doesn't just say, great, here, you're part of our brand rep program, here's some product. She brings them in to be part of the family. 
Mm-hmm. So I, at some points, but mostly Anne-Marie, meet all of them. They're all part of a closed um, chat group. So there's there's a supportive of each other in that group. But Anne-Marie's constantly in there chatting with them and asking them for stuff and giving feedback and that kind of thing. So they don't feel like we are a faceless entity. They know who they're doing it for. And I think that makes a big difference because they know who they'd be letting down (laughs) and they don't. Yeah. And they don't have a relationship with them. Yeah. And like back, back to your, back to your question, Susan is, yeah, I do have some basic terms of, you know, I'd love this much photography in this amount of post, but it's really comes to that kickoff call where I talk to them. I talk to them about their experience level with the product. I talk to them about their kids. Do their kids have any skin issues? Do their kids love bath time, not love bath time? And within that call, we always have, it's like an organic brainstorm of what type of content would be relevant for them to create. And again, very organic. So it's very simple for them. It's, and I hate to repeat myself, but it's families talking to families organically. And they're like, oh, I'm really passionate about this. Or I had one family that was very, very passionate about, about the genderless um, branding piece that was a sensitivity within their family. or So all of them have different parts of our brand that they're very passionate of talk, to talk about. So yes, I do, I do have some core specifics, but they always go above and beyond it to Kate's point because I make sure that they can talk about the things that are passionate to them and then they feel good about making an impact. It's not forced. Yeah. And I think that it bears repeating families talking to families is can, is more powerful than the best Facebook ad you'll ever have. hundred percent. Sure. So tell me, and I, I know that I didn't, uh, I didn't send this along with my list of questions, but what do, and I'd love it if both of you speak to this, what do you see as the biggest benefit of number one, taking the time to do all this background work, but number two, uh, continuing to involve your audience in the journey. What do you see as the biggest upside for you from those two activities? Shall I jump in? You should. I I think from a very sort of basic brand point of view, when we think about what we want to do next, really understanding what people want of us is Mm -hmm. more important than what we want to do. And only by constantly having these communications via the brand rep program, but also, and we, you know, we haven't mentioned it, but everybody who makes a purchase gets a personal email from me, obviously, and not giving anything away. It's within Clavio, but (laughs) it comes to them from me and they reply, they reply with their feedback. They reply with their first thoughts and any email I do receive in reply to that one. I do reply to personally. So I have dialogue with people and I can ask them questions. So if they have an issue with the product, I can dive deeper if needed. So I can really understand what they want from us Mm -hmm. in order to make great decisions about what we should give them next. So it's really being customer. No guessing. Just ask. Yeah. And you the answer. So Always ask. Always ask. So good. What about you, Anne-Marie? What do you see as the biggest benefit? Well, Kate stole my answer, obviously. Um, <laughs> no, but <laughs> yeah, I think 
again, because we're, you know, we didn't just develop a new t-shirt brand with a different type of design because we're forging kind of into uncharted waters. Um, I think having that, keeping the customers very, very close is important. I think back to what Kate said at the very beginning of the podcast of just also, it's important for us as entrepreneurs and leaders of this business and just our personal style. Kate and I are both naturally more conservative. Um, so we, and very calculated and we have backgrounds in, in doing this, but in terms of building a very tight strategy, that strategy comes from knowledge. We're not at the point of in this business where we're doing, you know, research or, you know, formal paid research or anything like that. So I view it as keeping the customers closest, constantly building research, it constantly information gathering to build that next phase strategy, which is exactly what Kate said. But my added layer of why it's important is it continues to make us confident in the business, which I think, you know, on an entrepreneurial journey, it's very easy to have, you know, crisis moments. Is, am I doing this? Is it worth it? Is it going to work all these hours? So for yeah. us, for me, I'd add the layer on top of Kate's conversation of it makes us more confident in our business decision, but it also makes us confident that, you know, us work, we're working this hard, but for a reason it, it, you know, we're getting positive feedback that we're on the right track. You know, I would say to anybody who's listening to this, who's another entrepreneur who sells something, who has those moments of self-doubt and crisis, get in your post-purchase flow an email where you send your customers a request for feedback because the things you get back will affirm what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You will feel great about what you're doing given what customers will tell you about what they love about your product. So don't be scared of that feedback. It's amazing. I have had emails that have had me almost in tears Mm -hmm. um, because people are so lovely about what they're saying and generous with their feedback in a way that is meant to help us not tear us down. Mm-hmm. So do it if you don't do it. So good. Listen, this was great. And I, uh, you know, all this work paid off for you. I know you had a successful first year and you're still partners. <laughs> and so what, what's next? What's next for you at Rowdy Kind? Um, well, we have just opened up for sales in North America and the rest okay. of the world, unfortunately, except for Europe, which is still um, a bit problematic, but for the rest of the world. So if anybody does want Rowdy Kind, they can just go to rowdykind.com and get it um, sent straight to them. And we've also opened up for retailers in the US on FAIR because that for us is it's as our mission is to make bath time plastic free. And that doesn't just mean in the UK, it's all kids. (laughs) Right. Oh, that is so good. Like, that's amazing because the last time I spoke with you, you hadn't done that. And so you have managed to find a way to really scale your sales beyond uh, what you did in the first year, because you've done all the legwork to make sure that you had a successful concept a product that people wanted at the price they wanted it at before you went out and showed it to the whole world. I think that's really smart. 
So listen, people are going to want to follow up with you too. I know you are uh, both in the inner circle. Thank you very much. And uh, Kate, you have, were really helpful when we were developing the new traffic boot camp. But where should they go looking for you? Should they go to uh, rowdykind.com? Yeah, they can go to rowdykind.com. They can also follow us on Instagram. Yeah. We respond to pretty much every message we get. If they want to email us, they can email kt at rowdykind.com. I will always reply to emails and we're on all the usual things. And Marie, any other ways you want them to get hold of you? No, I think, yeah, you know, check us out at rowdykind.com. If you have any feedback, as Kate said, we'd love it. And yeah, follow at rowdykind on Instagram. And um, again, let me know what you think. And and yeah, we we love everyone's opinions. and. We take it in due course. So I'd love if anyone's listening, we'd love your feedback. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it all. We were laughing a little bit before we started this episode because all three of us are Canadians. We're all sitting in three different countries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Praying that our Wi-Fi works for the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for the yeah. whole episode. But what an amazing world we live in. And I really, I really want to thank you uh, both for everything you share inside of our members Facebook group, but everything that you've shared today, I think it's going to help some people a lot. I want to remind them that just because you may not have taken the time to do this before you launched, you can do this at any time during your business. And the connections that you're going to form, I, I believe will serve you well for years to come. And, and it looks like you two are a shining example of that. So congratulations and thank you. And I'm going to see you both back in the inner circle. Awesome. Thank you, Susan. Hey, listen, if you like what we're working on here at the Roadmap to 50K and it's helping you get clarity on your next steps, I think you really have to check out our inner circle. You know, it is just an amazing place to learn how to build your business the right way. And you get to do it with a wonderful group of store owners that support each other and will cheer you on. You know, in the inner circle, our only purpose is to help our members get results. And because of that, we actually have dedicated coaches that are fully trained and available to work one-on-one with you. And we offer that to our members at crazy affordable prices. Because I know that sometimes you just need a little extra help to get past a roadblock so that you can move on and make progress again. So if this sounds good to you, I want you to head on over to the socialsalesgirls.com forward slash inner dash circle and get on the wait list. We will send you a lesson so that you can see what's waiting for you on the inside. And we'll also invite you to join us the next time we are open to take new members. So listen, friends, that's all. Thank you so much for spending your time with me and I will see you next week.